tonight on Arena. In film we review One Love, Shoshana, The Promised Land and The Taste of Things. And the Henry Girls perform their wonderful harmonies live in studio. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the program at RTE Arena, and we'll start with those film reviews. One Love is the new Bob Marley biopic, directed by Reinaldo Marcus Green, starring Kingsley Ben Adir as the man himself. Tells the story of how the reggae icon that is Bob Marley overcame adversity and the journey behind his revolutionary music. Set in the kitchen of a gourmand, the taste of things, starring Juliette Binoche and Benoit Majamel, it brings us the mouth-watering, course-by-course preparation of an epic meal and all the underlying personal dramas of the chefs involved. I advise you to have at least a sandwich before we start talking about that. Uh, moving from rural France to Palestine in the 1930s, from Michael Winterbottom Shoshana, the story of an independent young woman working on it at a newspaper who looks forward to the day a new Jewish state will be declared, but all around her... Uh, not as moderate are not as moderate in their views of how that new state should be realised. And we stay in the past for The Promised Land, a hysterical drama starring Danish actor Mads Mikkelsen. It's an adaptation of The Captain and Anne Barbara, a book written by Ida Jessen uh, and inspired by a true story about a retired 18th century army captain turned farmer who tries to establish a new life on a piece of land. He is awarded, however, his efforts are being blocked by an evil landowner who wants to take over the area. With me in studio this evening, Ruth Barton, Paul Whittington. And let's uh, start with the much anticipated biopic of reggae legend Bob Marley. I suppose the first thing that you have to decide when you're doing a biopic, uh, Ruth, is are we going to do the whole life and skim across stuff? Or are we going to focus in on a particular moment in time? What have they done here? Uh, they've taken the latter approach. And I think it was a good idea and perhaps one of the few good ideas underpinning this film. So, um, it goes from 1976 to 1978. So he's already, by the time the film opens, he's well established. He's um, still living at home, uh, you know, at home in Jamaica. Mm. But um, he he's he's a big star in Jamaica, and his he's already trying to uh, bring peace to to well, to Jamaica at this point. The two warring factions, and there are shootouts in the street. And but he lives in you know he's he's living mm. a, a comfortable life already. He's in a sort of compound. Um, and so it starts with that and with his attempts to bring to, to bring peace yeah. to, to his local community. What kind of a, a representation of the family do we get here? Because they, the family themselves are kind of behind this in terms of the production, Paul. Uh, well, yeah, it's a bit of a hagiography, to be perfectly honest, uh, which I suspected it would be from, from way out. Um, I think that... Uh, it, I, I agree with Ruth that it probably wasn't to, to focus in on this but I, I, I might have liked in Walk the Line we got much more of idea. for instance to pick a musical biopic yeah. we got much more of an instance of, of why Johnny Cash was who he was and what motivated him and we only get hints of it here because Bob Marley was uh, people who are interested in him might know his his uh, father was a white English army officer who refused to acknowledge him and that really like he, he was sort of driven down and driven in the opposite mm. direction if you like by that into sort of Rastafarianism and so forth so we get a fairly polished um uh, view of him I mean it, references made to the fact that um, that his wife was a bit of a saint and that he had you know children with numerous women and, and was not faithful to her and yet expected her to be faithful to him but uh, we don't they, they don't get at him at all they, they don't get at his kind of you know messianic kind of preaching or anything they're, they're, they're pretty respectful I thought Lashana Lynch is actually very good who plays uh, Arisa yeah um, the wife yeah all right, let's have a listen and you'll hear her at the end of this clip, actually. This is, Exodus was the album, I think, that was being focused on uh, yeah, at this yeah, point in yeah. time and Redemption Song, one of the big songs that was part of that period as well. And here we hear, and is, is this uh, Ben Adir himself doing the performances? Uh, I think he is in this. these bits where they're working up. Yeah. They do use the actual music as well. All right, so there's a bit of both going yeah. on. Let's have a listen to Redemption Song and a little conversation post-sing-song. To sin, these songs of freedom is all I ever have. Redemption songs. When you write that, all my life, 
That mean you're ready. Famous quote. When did you write that? All my just life. we're just saying, Sean. That does actually sound like Bob yeah, Marley, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, 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 yeah I think the yeah. three of us are in, in accord mm. that that was Bob Marley's voice itself, um, and obviously Kingsley Benadier miming there or whatever. Um, so, Benadier has played numerous real life characters now: Ruth, Barack Obama, Malcolm X, to name but two. How does he manage with with Marley? I don't think he's given any help with this role. I mean, he's a he's a very kind of he's bizarrely sort of um, passive, negative presence. And even even that exchange that we just played was mm. the hesitation, and he's got quite a soft voice. I mean, he this is somebody who was so iconic, and if you know there is they at the end of the film they as these sort of films often do they play real clips from the real concerts, which up to now he's been acting out. And the difference between his kind of the real sense that he's acting in in the concerts when he's dancing around on stage, sort of very mm. jerky moment, movements, and actually seeing um, Bob Marley, the, there's just this huge gap between the real and 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 the performed, yeah. and you never really get into, you never really understand why he was so charismatic. And I mean, even this you know redemption song, you see him in in the film reading Marcus Garvey, who inspired. Redemption song, but they never t- they never yeah. make the connection. Why is he reading Marcus Garvey, and what is the connection between him yeah. reading Marcus Garvey and writing Redemption song? Yeah, I, I I actually think it's a pretty good impersonation overall, but it doesn't rise much above the level of that. And I, as Ruth suggests, it's to do with the with the script, and I think it's too narrow. But Lashana Lynch, you say, manages. To, yeah, to she get does. She's very, she's very good, and uh, any time she's involved, we're interested because she 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 has her sort of both feet on the ground and she, seems like a she real does. character. She does, yeah. But then you, there's also there's all these sort of unexplained. She goes off. She takes the children off to to his mother in America mm. at one point when they're attacked. But we don't really understand why and so when she comes back. You know, there's we're all only these... getting bits of the story. Yeah, no, and, and, and there's and also the, there's also wasted opportunities. Like um, James Norton is oh, yeah. a great actor. He's totally Fantastic. wasted as Chris Brackett. Head of Island Records. Chris yeah. Blackwell's really because he was Marley's conduit to the mainstream. Basically, he's a very right. clever sort of canny person. We don't get any of him at all, it's really. A disappointment. It sounds yeah. like from both of you. Stars from you on this one, Paul. Uh, two. And what are you saying? Ruth? Yeah, I'm two as well. Yeah, the real yeah. missed opportunity. All right, yeah. that sounds like a misfortune and a misfire for sure. Next up, then the Promised Land historical drama uh, uh, in Nord- Nordic Western and from Danish uh, director Nikolai Arcel. Co-written with Anders Thomas Jensen and starring Mads Mikkelsen. It's an adaptation of The Captain and Anne Barbara, a book written by Eddie Essen and inspired by a true story about a retired 18th century army captain turned farmer. A kind of a Nordic Western was what I was stumbling over. No, there. It's, it, it's absolutely, it might be set in the 18th century and have costumes and, and so on, but it's an absolutely a Western, 100%. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if Gary Cooper could have spoken Danish and, Danish and was still alive, he could have played the character. Um, I love Mads Mikkelsen in it. The two of these, the director and him, made a royal affair uh, before, which people remember, which is a very mm. lush kind of court uh, 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 drama. This is very different. It's very gritty. Um, Callan, go- he, he, he returns from Germany 25 years of service. He has a bee in his bonnet about his background, which I won't spoil for people who are going to go and see it. And he wants to go to Jutland, which is like just this wilderness of heather that you can't farm sandy soil. And the king of Denmark, who apparently spends his days drinking and is just an absolute sot, but he's obsessed with um, with uh, settling Jutland. So anybody who says they will is going to get a He's reward. He's going, going to get a big lump yeah, of land. He, he goes up there, but an enemy awaits, but a very theatrical enemy awaits. <laughs> oh, he's a real bad guy. <laughs> he is, yeah, he is. This, he is. is, this is the character. This is Frederick de Schinkel. De Schinkel. He added the dirt. Yeah, he did. That's who we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, Simon Benneberg is, 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 the, is the actor here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's great, but he's a cut and paste villain, isn't he? He's, <laughs> he is. He's, he's very nasty, pantomime. though. He's yeah. very nasty. Yeah. There's no raping and pillaging that he can't think of ahead of you. Yeah. Um, however, I think uh, the majority of the action here is growing potatoes. Now, growing potatoes is a very fine activity and can absorb your time for months on end. But to watch it happening on screens doesn't strike me as the most lively of potential views. Well, well luckily, we don't actually spend too much time watching the potatoes. Oh, that's right? okay. Um, and actually, there is kind of, there's drama within that, Sean, because oh, yeah, because is. they wake up one morning and, and your man goes frost because potatoes will, will survive anything except frost. So out they, they're laying, you know, putting earth on them. And so th- there is drama in that. But actually, this is this is not a boring film. Yeah. It's, right. it's, it's a real sort of rip-roaring adventure. There is, really. and there's a winsome child who discovers 
discovers that one potato is growing. Oh, she's she's great, the little yeah. uh, um, Roma, Roma child. child. Yeah, she's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Mads Mikkelsen, uh, is there a lot of silence here? I think he's relying a lot on silence, but it is a movie after all. Oh, he's. I mean, this wouldn't be the film it is without Mad. This is yeah. Mad Mikkelsen's mm. film, and he's yeah. such, just such. He's just so huge. He's so huge physically, and he's got such an incredible screen presence that it really doesn't matter about the cutout of the characters are either you know saintly or mm. utterly villainous, uh, because he's in every scene and he's striding and you can you know you believe that he's digging teaspoons of soil out of out of the heath and it, he's, to find he's, he, he's Jonah isn't he I mean he how much can he suffer basically he's and he's so good and he there's so much expression in his face he's great yeah he, he's tortured very very adequately and, yeah. and and in the supporting cast I've mentioned Simon Benebjerg as the villain uh, um, uh, HBO series Raised by Wolves uh, Amanda Colin plays the character of Anne Barbara yeah and I mean the, the original the, the original novel is actually called The Captain and, and Anne her, Barbara yeah. and so they've eliminated her from the title of the film mm. but she actually has a decent part in it she's the only other person really who has a kind of three dimensional role in it and she's very very good um, she is the escaped servant girl of the shingle of the shingle who's you know who, well, she's been raped and then her husband's tortured. So that's kind of par for the course for a Dishinkle day. And and so she then escapes courtesy of the of the of the saintly pastor and ends up with Mads Mikkelsen with his um, character von Karlen and and of course well they tumble into bed together I'm sorry, spoiler alert yeah, well, listen it sounds as if this one has a little bit more to offer than this our previous <laughs> this, is, this is meaty meat and potatoes for sure how many stars from you on this one Ruth I gave it four I thought it was I thought you know uh, Mads Mikkelsen just made it for and me. And looks yeah. great, I believe, as well. Oh, fantastic. And great soundtrack. Yeah, and what are you and saying? Four from me also. It's very enjoyable, yeah. Four. And it's not actually completely silly at all. There's, 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 there's some substance to it. Right, and, and Mads Mikkelsen carries, yeah, carries the day. Absolutely, We spoke to director Michael Winterbottom last night about his new film Shoshana. In it, we are in Palestine, where the new state of Israel is about to be established, an historical event that has rebounded in countless clashes in an ongoing conflict which continues even as we speak on the streets of Gaza. Uh, this is a big undertaking from Michael Winterbottom. And in some ways, he he's, he's giving us, I suggested to him last night in the interview, the seeds of the current conflict by going back to the British colonial past. Yeah, I was interested in listening to your, to your interview with him last night because the question is, how do you... How do you respond to a film like this that was made before the current outbreak of atrocities, which is a film that is really very, very interested in the Israeli, um, uh, uh, you know, the the Jewish people moving into Palestine, Mm. that does not characterize the Palestinian people at all in the film, or the, the Arabs in the film, rather. And, and, and how, how do you respond to a film like that? Now that we're in the present situation, and I was, I was listening to you, kind of pushing him, and he was mm. kind of dodging it because, yeah, of course, he, wasn't he finished. Answering how, he, how would how would our view of the film? No, he was saying, "Oh, it's a historical film," but yeah. but of course, he'd com- he'd completed it before you know before yes. the atrocities of of of, of also, last Also, it would September. be a much more complicated film if he if he was including. I mean, it's does it's a glaring absence. The Arabs are either victims or or villains, and hardly even that. But to do them both would have been a mammoth undertaking. I, and I, I guess it, uh, there is the part of the answer is this is a love story that he's telling uh, about uh, this British officer. Yeah, and in and fact, that's the, that, sorry to interrupt. That, yeah. that, that's the only way into this story because it's so complicated. I and mean, it begins with a history lesson, but you need a history lesson yeah. because people don't really understand. For instance, probably a lot of people now don't know that the British were in Palestine mm. or what they were doing there. They they became it became uh, they, they they had the mandate to to rule it after they they ran the Ottoman Turks out after the First World War, but it was a poison chalice for them because they didn't know what they were doing there and they didn't have any idea as to the solution, except they were vaguely benevolent towards the idea of a Jewish state. Is is that the only way we can view it then, Ruth, to look at it as a, as a love story rather than any kind of political statement? Yeah, it's a love across the divide love story because it's between... I mean, the it's called Shoshana because the central character is this woman. Based on a real life character. Yeah, absolutely. And, and all the... And this is... Everybody in it is mm. is more or less based on on real life characters, and so you know she represents the the Israeli settlers, and her father was, who's long gone before the st- the story begins. He was a you know a liberal Israeli, and she's inherited his liberal views. Whereas there's a, there's the other faction, um, who are you know the Ergun, who are much more hardline, and they're the ones who are really 
you know, it's yeah. engaged in, in, in blowing people up and, 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 um, and using, assassinating people. As Michael Winterbottom pointed out to us, the, the same techniques as Michael Collins that were picking up on that kind of guerrilla warfare. That's right. And, and then, so, so then, you know, the love across the divide is that she's, you know, she falls for this guy and um, he, uh, Morton, sorry, mm. um, Wilkin, played by Douglas Booth, and he's a very clean cut, yeah. you know, English... Um, he, well, the, they're in the police and so it's about the tensions between these two and then they're kind of feeding us the history through As the tensions between these, these let's, two characters. Let's listen to a clip featuring the both of them uh, Douglas Booth playing Tom Wilkins the British officer Irina Starshenbaum playing the character of Shoshana uh, one of Wilkins's uh, colleagues has been killed she's at the funeral and their, their, their relationship is a little bit <laughs> difficult at this point in time and she really wants to know about a colleague of hers who's been held by the British and she wants his help to try to get him freed I'm sorry about Chief he was a good man yes I've been asked to talk to you about Joshua Bruno he has children a wife he's still being held they're threatening him with years' imprisonment. What? For being a Haganah? For wanting to build Israel? We all want to build Israel. I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. Right. I'm sorry to have bothered you. You didn't think about what you said. What you did. You were wrong. We can be together. I'd do the same thing again. I know. There we go, a clip from Shoshana with Douglas Boothus as Tom Wilkins and Irina Starshenbaum as Shoshana, the title character of the film. We were saying as we were listening to that, there's wonderful chemistry between the two of them on screen. They really play off they each other. Do. It's a totally believable love story. They do, and she, mm. I think she's excellent, playing mm. this really interesting character whose father, uh, as Ruth mentioned, he was this. Um, he was basically a, a Zionist, a Marxist yeah. Zionist, and he and he did have this uh, sort of liberal view of how a, a new state might work and how uh, Jew and Arab might live together. But the Michael Ca- Collins um, uh, reference or comparison is own is not very helpful because. Um, yes, the the the, the hardline Zionists were trying to get the British out, but they were also uh, bombing uh, yes. the people who'd been there before them. So, which Michael Collins wasn't doing. So, it's it's really a complicated situation. And what struck me was how, in many ways, how how how, how little has changed uh, because the bomb attacks in crowded markets, assassinations all over the place, and it's just it 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 just seems to be this kind of problem that's been created that might not be fixable. I did feel at the end of it, however, that perhaps I understood how the militant wing of the the Israeli side of the argument came into being and continues today. I understood the the origins of that. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, we see, I don't want to spoil the ending of it mm. too much, but it's got quite a striking freeze frame at the ending, yeah. which changes which changes a lot, and 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 so you changes you, your view of the film, yeah. Yeah, it does, and and so you can you you can understand how you can almost give up on politics as a solution and pick up a rifle to to you know to solve to solve the problem. And you're also reminded that this is the late 1930s, so once Hitler invaded Poland and everybody realised what was really going on, that changed everything, everything as well. Everything so there's a real changed. impetus there. Yeah, uh, stars from you on this one, Ruth. I gave it I gave it three and a half. I just felt it didn't. F- it didn't really pull it off, but it was incredibly ambitious. But I, I found the tension between the real history and the love affair just too much to yeah. encompass in one film. I'm and really total accord so far, because I would give three and a half as well, because I think that, yes, it, it's a bit clunky, but, uh, you know, any attempt to address this subject is is laudable, I think. All right. So it's, uh, two three and a halves there for uh, Shoshana. Let's move on to our final film then. Uh, now this is the one with the food. <laughs> Gabriel Axel's 1988 <laughs> film, Babette's Feast, it comes to mind. Stanley Tucci's Big Night. Well, you're in for a treat if you liked either of those with this new film, Tranan Hung's The Taste of Things, the story of a cook, Eugenie, played by Juliette Benoche, and her boss, Dodin, played by Benoit Majumel. Uh, growing romance as they strive together to create dishes that impress the world's most illustrious chefs. I'm hungry thinking about this <laughs> film, and I believe you'll be starving if you go to see it, Ruth. Yes, it's not one to take your vegetarian best friend to, because it is a well, cel- French. 
It is so French. Yeah. It is so French. It's absolutely beautiful, and it's beautiful in many, many ways. Um, there's, there's this really fantastic... It's not just even about the eating of the food, which is one thing, and the pleasure in the food. It's the pleasure in the preparation of the food and the kind of sexiness mm. about, how, you know, the lengthy preparations that, that take place. Of course, without modern, you know, any modern conveniences, this is, this you know... Is, is in fin de siècle France, so everything is done with this incredible, you know, you see them lifting up these heavy pots and the steam rising and just adding a few drops mm. of oil and, and um, you know, then tasting and, the, you know, and, and, and they're just, they're so dedicated to it um, and they so despise anybody who doesn't cook like them. Quite or, right. <laughs> and doesn't appreciate French wine in the way that they do. So it, 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 what's the dynamic then? Because I think there's a there's a basis in real life in this as well. Well, there's, there's a couple loose. of famous gourmands that, that yeah. um, Benoit Magimel's character, Dodin Buffon, might be, might be based on. But it's also based on a Swiss novel. But he's a great character and he's this sort of late, 80, uh, late 19th century. I think it's Normandy, I would guess. Mm. And he, he's very rich. He's kind of noble, as it were. And he lives in this big house. And he has time and money to, to devote to his. He's brilliant at putting a menu together. He knows what wine goes with everything. He's very inventive. And his friends call him the Napoleon of, of, of gastronomy, which he kind of pretends to be upset by, but I don't think he is. And uh, so he, he, he wouldn't be able to do all that without his cook, who, uh, Eugenie, who's, who is brilliant. And the, the dynamic here is personal as well as Well, no, it is. And it's not, it's not, there's no, uh, it's not kind of, um, he, he's not the Lord or anything. He's, he won't touch anything in the kitchen if she doesn't want him yeah. to. He, he knows how good she is and he also asks very quietly earlier on in the film may I visit your bedroom tonight and if she gives the nod he arrives like a shot by candlelight and, and, it's, and they it's, used to be life partners as well yeah and, they and did. But she, she yeah, didn't want yeah, to get married yeah. because she wanted to retain, no, she wants to retain her, her independence, independence. Yes. and she doesn't want to eat with them because and it's Benoche, all about the preparation Benoche and Magimel of course they were, were a couple they were so a couple is and the then, chemistry still there oh it is and of course you know uh, Juliette Binoche like so you know so many French actors she's ageing Beautifully in the film, she's she just is, yeah. perfect, mm. and Elegance of course, and, and and you know her, the, the the costumes are. It's like it's like kind of eating a Sunday newspaper <laughs> supplement. You know, you're you're just sitting there, there was there was because it. It, there was this row over which French film would represent them at the Oscars, yeah. and everybody thought it would be Anatomy of a Fall, and then that didn't happen, and people were saying, "Oh, was it because?" Uh, she tends to criticise uh, Macron. But I don't know why it was. There was a lot of English in Anatomy of a Fall, which yeah. might have disqualified it. But basically, this was kind of dismissed by some as what they call cinema du papa, which means that it kind of looks nice, but it's silly. It's not at all, actually. Yeah, no, there nice. is a character in here, I was reminded of Ratatouille. Is it the young, is it Pauline, the young niece, or is it Vienna? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pauline, she's got perfect taste. <laughs> she tastes the sauce and she says, here are the ingredients. That's right, and she gets in and she... Mm, Palace, she has. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... I, this sounds as if it is a feast for the eyes. Is there enough, is there substance enough in it to get past, you know, it being more than that, Ruth, for you? Oh, yeah, I thought it was completely compelling. And it is about the preparation, really, and the kind of labour and the pleasure of labour and the sort of just just that you can express love for somebody by And also food them. as culture, which is such yeah. a big thing in France. Yeah. And no, I, I, I thought it was absolutely beautiful to look mm. at. Ruth says there's a, there's a, there's a, a sort of wedding scene in it. Uh, that looks like something painted by Renoir, and it also contains the world's largest volleyball. <laughs> so I mean, you can't go. You can't miss that. Yeah, so you obviously you clearly. But he's not a three D version. You need to see it on a big screen. And we, and we understand where the word baked Alaska comes from, which is crucial. I do not uh, the spoiler do not spoil no, it I'm on not going to let anything because yeah. if okay. you ever are on Mastermind stars, stars briefly <laughs> I gave it four four oh five for me oh, five for you yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. five for you yeah. there oh, we go you. Ruth Barton and Paul Whittington uh, telling us about the film is One Love the Bob Marley biopic that's out now The Taste of Things starring Juliette Binoche uh, and Majamel out tomorrow The Promised Land starring Mads Mikkelsen uh, out tomorrow as well and finally Ma uh, Michael Winterbottle films Shoshana which is out tomorrow week uh, Friday week Friday week uh, and that is the lot oh great music live music coming up after the break
The Henry girls are three sisters from North Donegal, Karen, Lorna and Jolene McLaughlin. They specialise in three-part harmonies set to music that blends Celtic roots, Americana and folk. They've just released a new album entitled Time to Grow, which is also the first single from the album. The three sisters are with me in studio this evening. We're going to hear a track from them now. We'll uh, chat with them later on. And we're going to start with that title track from the new album, A Time to Grow. Let me sit with this, let me take it in, let me understand it from deep within. Let me sit with this, let me take it in, let me understand it from deep within. When I win, would this be over? When I win, will it end? to shame and then to sorrow and when it's done the time to go let me sit with this let me take it in let me understand it from deep within another dawn another winter in troubled darkness came, but I'll grow tall, the days grow warmer, and in the light, time to go. Let me sit with this, let me take it in, let me understand it from deep within. Let me sit with this, let me take it in, let me to grow opening track and title track from the new album from the Henry Guards and we'll be speaking more with Jolene Karen and Lorna a little bit later in the programme now let us go to the theatre Audrey or Sorrow is a new play by Marina Carr set in a haunted house. It explores intergenerational family dynamics, themes of life and death through the living and indeed the dead. Directed by Katrina McLaughlin, it opens at the Abbey Theatre later this month in a co-production with Landmark. The cast includes Ashley O'Sullivan and Nick Dunning, both of whom are with me in studio this evening. And it is the most spoiler alert play that I've read <laughs> in, in quite a long time. It has to be said. Um, um, I'll start with you on this one, Ashley, because 
your character seems to be in charge of these people, but I don't know if that's quite true. Um, where are we? What world are we in? What place are we in in the setting of the play? I guess we're in the world of Marina Carr, number one. The characters are inhabiting a house by the sea. Within the house, there are different dimensions and different times and all of the these dimensions collide in the play. So we have we have people who could be uh, alive in one realm, if you like, and people who are alive in possibly a real world, whatever a yeah, real world is. That's the debate of the play, yeah. in fact, yeah. what who is alive and who is living and and how are they managing to live? Yeah. Uh, and I suppose we can't go any further into yeah. who might or might not be in which realm. So in a way, it's a kind of, it's a mystery. You see, there's something that's not quite settled mm. in the piece, which is one of the things that I love about it, is that you're you're never totally certain where you are. And she plays this extraordinary game with us, kind of sort of teasing us and thinking, you thinking you're over here, mm. you think you're solid, you think everything, you know what's happening. And then something happens that is just so surprising well, that it changes your reality. To, to ground it just a little bit, if yeah, you tell us sure. a bit about about Parley and and uh, where he is and, and the characters he's speaking to at the beginning of the play, I think yeah. that might help us. Well, make. at the beginning of the play, he's talking to his two sisters. And so he's a kind of like he's he's the golden boy, if you like. He's the kind of, he's the male energy in the play. Mm. He has a kind of very different energy and a different kind of um, connection to the world than they do. Mm. They come from a very sort of unusual connection that they have. And he kind of comes in and disrupts that a bit. That's what he does, really. The style of the play at the beginning, I really felt I was reading, I was just looking at the script, working off that. I felt I was in some ways reading something very close to a Beckett situation in that we are in a non, we don't know where the place is. We don't even know when the place is. It could be now, it could be 20 years ago, it could be 20 years into the future. I, I think that's, that's fair enough. There's a kind of, a, a again, the, the, the ability, as soon as you start to place it and sort of say, OK, it is in this time or it is that, the play suddenly loses its power. And what's incredible is that it keeps playing with where you think you are on a physical level, a metaphorical level, and a spiritual level even. And the characters change and move, on, are very fluid and develop all the way through the play. So you're always kind of like thinking on the edge of your seat, what's happening next? I have mm. no idea. This is so... Ju- I mean, I remember when I first read it, the actual first time I read this, I kind of went, I'm not quite sure I know where I am with this mm. play. And gradually, as I started reading the play and becoming a bit more familiar with it, it started to kind of bring out these these kind of like little little gifts, little presents that kind of like connect together. And by the end, it was a bit like watching these these amazing little short scenes but make it, that make up this extraordinarily vast kind of epic kind of story, which is very much Marina Carr's thing, this great big story. Yeah, let's listen to a, a, a scene that features Mac and Grass, who are the two sisters that you mentioned, your two sisters, Nick, played by um, Marie Mullen and Anna Healy. And they're the kind of Bikettian double act for me at yeah, the, yeah, at the yeah, beginning yeah, of the yeah. piece. And they're discussing all sorts of things here, including the quality of tea that should be drunk at whatever time of the day it is. Oh, yes, you did. I did not. I never, ever left you on a log in the middle of the stream. River. What River. You wanted to play with Coldette Malign. Her? She was a fright. She was your best friend. For about five minutes. You're my only friend. Now, yes. But then... You're getting agitated. No, we're having tea. (sighs) All right. We're having tea. Is it good? The whiskey in it is good. Stop right there. Is it Lapsang? Lady Grey. Divine. Would you like a crumpet? I'd love a crumpet. You may go to my fridge. No, it's all right. You may. No, the fridges are separate. <gasps> that has to change. And that's Anna Healy as Mac, Marie Mullen as Grass in a scene from Audrey or Sorrow, the new play by Marina Carr, which is coming to the Abbey Theatre at the end of the month. Nick Dunning from the cast and Ashley O'Sullivan from the cast are with me in studio this evening. And and that gives us, uh, I suppose, this this sense of the fun that is there in the play as well, Ashley, because it's important. Yes, there are very serious 
and themes at play here, trauma and grief very much at the heart of that. But there's great humour within all of it as well. There is. There's great fun and comedy. Um, I think she, when when she wrote this play, I think she threw the rules out about um, what a play is. And maybe that's what you're getting at when you talk about it's, it's Beckettian. There's kind of poetry in it. There's... Um, and otherworldliness in the play. But when I watch the runs of it, I find my mind is uh, brought to places without me realising. I've suddenly got an image in my head of an old, you know, an Mm. old something from my childhood or something that's happening in the world now. Uh, We're trying to allow that imaginary space to come alive so that... In, in the mind's eye, this thing that Marina is debating in in the middle, in the centre of the play, mm. ha- happens is allowed to happen in the th- in the sp- in the auditorium and on the stage. There's a seminal event in the past, um, mm. if I can put it that way, yeah. between a, a character called uh, uh, Maria, isn't she? Zara Devlin's yeah, character, yeah. uh, with whom your character, Audrey, Audrey, has a connection. Yes. That's as far as I'm going yes. to go with it. But that seminal event is very much about trauma. It's about grief and it's about how intergenerational grief and trauma can play out through people who are not even directly connected with that event. That kind, the line between the living, if you want, for want of a better, just to make it easy, yeah. the living and the dead, this world and some other mm. realm. Mm. That line is is very fluid in a Marina Car play, and that's very much the case here, Nick. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's like this this thing we were talking about this the other day. Is you know we were talking about you know do you believe in ghosts? You know, I mean everyone has this kind of everyone goes a bit quiet when you mention that mm. idea because it's you know you don't want to admit that you do, but but a lot of us have a connection to the idea. We've all lost people, and we all have. Have that sort of sense of. I actually had a chat with my dad yesterday about something. You think, what am I doing? I'm actually having this conversation with someone who is no longer here. But it's that sense that you still feel the presence of someone. And I think, I don't know if there are many people who haven't been on some level touched by that. But like, for me, what's the, the genius of this kind of piece is that whenever you go into those darker, deeper sort of moments that are also sitting right next to it, these moments of unbelievable hilarity. Mm. You know that thing where, you know, you're not supposed to say these certain things in church, but then somebody does. That kind of thing. And she brings this in that makes you... It, I have never laughed so much as I have in this, watching some of the stuff that's going on in this rehearsal room. It's just hilarious. And partly it's because there's a, there's a permission. Mm. There's a permission to actually allow those feelings through. And it still means that you get that connection of the deep story, but you enjoy it in such a funny way. Yeah, And but, that's, but, that's just genius writing for me. Certainly there is comedy there, but we couldn't call it a knockabout fart. I, I, don't, think, <laughs> no. I don't think that's it's not no, quite... No, you wouldn't call it a knockabout <laughs> it's fart. A unique, no. It's yeah. a unique piece. Yeah, because there's, there's, and I'm thinking of your character here uh, in some ways, actually, in the Audrey character who has this kind of there's a mythological feel to it as well. We're in we're in that other world. We're in a world where myth and story are hugely important, and the way that a story is told is as important as the story itself. She seems to be, for me at any rate, uh, Audrey. She has she has scores to settle. How she's going to do that is another day's work. Where does she fit into you? Because you have to root the character in some kind of reality. You can't play a ghost per se. You, the character is real to the to you, the actor. Well, she's very human. Um, she's a very human character and her relationships are like love connections, I guess. I can identify with mm. all of her instincts and urges and why she does things. She knows a lot more than I do and a lot more than any human being does because she has gone through something that has illuminated a, th- a truth. Yeah, this, that's this seminal event that, uh-huh. we, that we can't obviously, uh-huh. we, we, yeah. can't, uh-huh. we can't uh-huh. expose. <laughs> um, but, but if you look, I mean, anybody who's going to go to the show should be aware that there are content advisors, ad- advisories on, on the Abbey website itself, including things like cot death, like grief, like trauma, like child, uh, child loss. And I mean, there are a couple of occasions where white coffins will be present on stage. 
it is a deeply moving play in places as well, uh, Nick. It's, it's not for the faint-hearted in no, that respect. No, it's not for the faint-hearted, but at the same time, you know, that's very much part of people's lives. Mm. And I think that's the bravery of the play right, and the writing itself is saying, well, look, we're human beings. We do actually go through these very difficult things. And absolutely, of course, there's a, you know, um, a care is taken with that as well. And it's a very sensitive, um, gentle, very loving kind of care that's taken with that. So... Whilst I can understand people might be thinking that, yeah. that it's difficult, I think if if you're aware of that, you'll be okay. <laughs> I really do. I genuinely mean that. I really do. And I think it's, it's going to be told in such a way that it's, it's so... There's a kind of presence in the play as well, which is so benign. There is something so loving, so kind of kind in there. And a childlike simplicity. Maybe that's the thing yeah, that we can say a, is yeah. there for all of the characters, uh, mm. Ashley, that, that childishness in some ways. Well, they're wild and um, nature is a big character in the play too. So they're, they're, they're living, all of them, they're alive and wild. Yeah, that feral, that feral quality <laughs> is there for sure. Thanks to both of you for coming in. I know Thanks. that you're, are, are you about to head into the theatre in the next, are, are you in the theatre yet? Next or are you week. Next week, so you're still yeah. in the rehearsal Yeah, you're room. still in rehearsal room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, that, not at the totally frightening stage. Not just yet. Yeah. No, no, no. Just yeah. Like yeah. We're smelling it. So you're smelling a little bit of the theatre and the fear oh, yeah. at the moment. Oh, yeah. yeah Nick Dunning, sure. Ashley O'Sullivan, thanks so much for being with us this evening. Audrey or Sorrow previews at the Abbey Theatre from the 23rd of February opens then on the 28th and runs through until the 23rd of March. And full details, including those um, uh, content warnings on the Abbey website itself, abbeytheatre.ie. Now, if you're listening earlier on, you may have heard the Henry Girls singing the title track, opening track from their new album, A Time to Grow. Well, Karen, Lorna and Jolene are back in studio with me now. I'm going to chat a little bit and hear another song live, I'm delighted to say. But just going back to, the, to that A Time to Grow uh, song, I was, I was listening to jotting down some of the lyrics as we were listening to it, uh, Karen. When oh when will it be over? <laughs> it was one, and then which we, we this was written during pandemic we thinking times. Thinking that while you were listening to the song, <laughs> <laughs> this was written during pandemic times. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess that's kind of I suppose you know not to sort of dwell on all that again, yeah. but it, it definitely had that. Yeah, it has that sort of feeling about you know that was the whole idea. I suppose at the time it's like, and it wasn't so much the early part of it. I suppose mm. it was just like whenever I suppose everybody was just feeling, you know. Just, I suppose, really at that stage, just done in with it all, and yeah. just really worried. Some people were really worried. Some people were really, you know. But then I suppose it was just the idea that, like, sometimes out of something a bad situation like that, you can, you know, gain some knowledge from well, it. Well, I guess that's, sort of that's what the whole idea of the album mm. is, isn't this? A time well, that's to go. It, yeah. yeah. Let me because the the upside of this lyric a bit further on is let me sit with this, let me take it in. Yeah. So it's, if you can kind of process yeah. it, maybe you can get somewhere. Well, that's it. Out yeah, out, out of the so. back of it. Yeah. Jolene, you had you had your own little bit of growing happening <laughs> in, in in and around that time uh, during lockdown as well, didn't you? That's right. Yeah, I had a little girl, Sarah. On the first of November, twenty twenty, so it's just three now. Yeah. Um, and yeah. has that does that feed into what you do musically? Is it inevitable that a, a big life event like that would? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, I suppose the the couple of songs that I wrote on the album mm. are directly about having Sarah. One is about um, her coming into the world. It's called Winter's Day. And the other one's called Don't Fear Tonight and it's kind of a lullaby for mm. especially for her. So she's actually listening. Oh right. To, um, well, does, does she go to bed close to eight o'clock? She does, yeah. yeah she well she'd be getting her lullaby just ahead of eight o'clock. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. If, if whoever's minding her at home now, get the pajamas on, make sure make sure she's ready. She's gonna get the three part lullaby uh, before the end of the programme. Before the end of the programme. What way does it work then, Lorna, between the the three of you? Um, both Karen and, and Jolene talking about writing the song, they're the, very, the two songs that yeah. we've heard tonight. Does it move around, or do what does one or other person take the lead on different songs? How does that? 
yeah, balance it's itself a, out. It's a funny one, I suppose. It's we're very typical in the sense that somebody will just slam down the door and say, "Here's an idea," and mm. then we sit down together and we just start kind of um, coming up with ideas. So it kind of grows as a group. Then, um, and it's nice to be working with um, with your sisters, and in, in, in many ways, it's a very fast way of getting a yes or a no because it, like, there's absolutely no filter. And <laughs> yeah. So there's sometimes I've like, I mean, you know, um, you know, somebody will just say, no, I don't think that's working. And then you kind of, you, you trust that opinion and you kind of move on. But, but, um, but I think that we kind of bounce off each other a lot. And, um, and I, I personally just, I, I, I don't want to be, I've never really wanted to be a solo artist. I love yeah. working in groups and I work in various groups, but this group I really like. <laughs> but, um, that's but handy. yeah, but the other aspect of it is, I mean, I was listening to you even as, as you were getting ready to uh, perform tonight and you seem to be almost able to pluck the notes of the harmonies out of the air. <laughs> I mean, there, there must be a phenomenal amount of listening that goes on in those harmony pieces as well as doing what you're doing yourself. Yeah. There is, and, and because we we grew up in a household where there was a lot of singing, we've got three other sisters as well, and, and, and our whole household was very musical. Six-part harmony sometimes, <laughs> was there? <laughs> we were, basically. Um, so it kind of, it just was, it was always a very fun thing to be doing at home and very, uh, very mm. natural. So in that sense, we were kind of, we were kind of fast-tracked into it. We didn't know we were harmonising, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So we kind of mm. just, we just loved it. We loved the sound of voices together, kind of just working together. And, and then, um, and then when I went to, college and that and I realised some people weren't just as intuitive with harmonies so it kind of was like oh, all right, okay well we were lucky to have that experience yes, at home yeah. um, and now we do harmonise easily but it's um, but it's still you know it's um, yeah it's fun I don't know yeah and the <laughs> other good. it's not always just that you do let other people in occasionally it has to be said Karen it doesn't have to it yeah. don't have to be a Henry yeah. sister or no, a Henry girl no, or a McLaughlin a sister well, to get in there <laughs> um, no. not not your yeah. fight featured Raina Connolly just tell yeah. me a little bit of the background yeah. to that song well well, Raina is she's just an amazing singer from Armagh mm. and but she now is, is based in Manchester and um so she was invited to the Nerve Centre in Derry, which is a sort of a, a, a sort of a musical hub, I suppose. And um, she was the artist in residence there in 2019. And um, then, so they asked me if I would work with. They just approached a lot of local mm. artists in the area who would, you know, maybe work with her and some writing some music. And so I went to meet her, and um, we started kind of just coming up with ideas. And anyway, then one of the mornings that I was meeting her. Um, was in Derry in the Nerve Centre and it was actually the day after Leora McKee was shot and um, up in Craigan that yeah. she was shot. There was a riot going on in Craigan and she was just sort of caught. She was a journalist, young journalist and um, she was just caught in crossfire yeah. and, and it was just, um, it was it t- totally shook everybody in Derry. Like it was really, really sh- um, shocking and, you know, just really upsetting. And, and so I was meeting Rena that morning and it was just totally on our minds and um, yeah, and I guess we just started writing this song and then, and then things happened, and it, like she was in Manchester, and we just didn't really get to do anything with it. We just, we just, yeah, we yeah. kind of just started it, but never really went anywhere with it. And then when we started to record the album, um, I just got in touch and said, "Why don't we finish that song?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, said, I, I don't have time to play any of it now because right. I do want to get that live yeah. song. But I do want to mention that you, you've very kindly brought in a copy of the CD to me. Mm. The artwork on the front of this is absolutely gorgeous, Laura. Yeah, it's uh, we're very happy. It's by an artist called Tim Stumpton. Um, he's up there in Malin, and him and his wife Ross Harvey. They've got a, a studio called Bala Studio, and it was just the most lovely experience uh, going mm. down to the studio and talking about the album and telling them about the songs and and all that kind of stuff. So they kind of then uh, Tim has sort of taking all that in and then came yeah. back with this uh, the image of us three in the boat is yeah, kind of it's, it's, perfect. A, it's a red boat on a, on a black sea yeah. and, yeah. and the, the, the hair the three women <laughs> yeah. with the hair That's flowing us. out yeah. behind um, it, it really is a very powerful very powerful image indeed mm. now uh, Sarah should be ready for bed now at this point should <laughs> she Julie because so. yeah, so. this is this is her lullaby yeah. um, I have to say this is straight out of the American songbooks there's a touch of the Andrews sisters I think oh, off, off this is that what is yeah. in your mind well our last project before this was the Boswell sisters um, well, live similar. album we made and yeah. we did a couple. I uh, did a tour in with the, the show. Um, it obviously influenced. Well, yeah. we're we're 
hugely into the Andrew Sisters and Boswell Sisters type yeah, harmony. Well, and people yeah. will certainly hear that here. Yeah. Don't fear, you have some gigs, I'll give dates out afterwards. Oh, Don't fear the night, let's hear the song. Sir, straight to bed. <laughs> now, both your mummy and your aunties, Karen and Lorna, say you're to go to bed. That said, the Henry Curls with Don't Fear the Night. Uh, they're playing Seamus Heaney Home Place in Balahi and County Derry, but that's sold out on the 16th of March. They're in the Ramor Theatre, Abbey Mill Theatre, Dolan's, Debarra's, The Spirit Store and Cocklands, that's in Virginia, Feathered, Limerick, Connacilty, Dundalk and Cork over the months of April and May. And uh, if you're any of the, in the areas, watch out for those gigs. And um, the song that we've talked about, Not Your Fight, by the way, is nominated at the Folk Awards and they will be live on the night right here on RTE Radio 1. That's February the 27th and they're on TV then on March the 2nd. Good luck with all of that. And that is our lot for this uh, Thursday evening. Niall Fitzmaurice and Paula Shields were the researchers. Ollie Hamilton was the broadcast coordinator. Pather Carney was on sound this evening and tonight's programme produced by Kay Sheehy, who will be sitting in the seat tomorrow night. I won't be here. I'll be back with you as usual on Monday. John Creedon will be with you after the news.